Let's continue in prayer for a second. Father, may you give us ears to hear. May you open our eyes to a passage of scripture, Lord, that is often skipped through, Father. Lord, be our guide tonight. And Spirit, speak through me and speak to me. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Hebrews 9 is our passage. It's been read, 11 onwards. And I'll ask you to turn to it later. You can if you want now. But it's a passage that um, many people have said to me, Golly, what a, what a passage to start on. So here I am, Hebrews 9. I've got one message, actually, that I wanted to, to say first off, and it's this. The Spirit is alive. The Spirit is alive here, and the Spirit is alive all across the earth. The church as a whole is growing. The Lord seems to have been working in our ever-developing, apathetic society, and that's something that I come across a lot. I do a lot of work with youth and a lot of work with young leaders. And apathy is one of our biggest struggles we find. I've just come back from four weeks on the trot of Christian events. One week in Keswick at the Keswick Convention, 137th Bible Convention, which is seeing more people attending their Bible readings and seminars in recent years than ever before. A children's mission in Wolverhampton which has been bringing the gospel to 120 children every year for five years and seeing children respond to the good news of Christ. I just had a week at Soul Survivor, which is a youth conference held by an evangelical church of England church in Watford. Soul Survivor spans three weeks in the summer with over 11,000 young people each week and up to the last last Wednesday just gone, it's seen 1,500 and. 58 people respond to the gospel for, their, for the first time at these year's events. The church is growing. If we as individuals aren't seeing God bring people into his kingdom, then we're simply not looking in the right places for the encouragement that we may well be needing. One point I wish to make is the evangelical nature of the events I've mentioned. They are strictly Bible teaching. It would appear to me that when the gospel is present in teaching, it becomes present in people's lives and in their own mission. And the end result is people coming to know God. However, the writer of Hebrews would have a little bone to pick with what I've heard being said at the events I've I've attended this summer. I'm confident that we would not disagree with what's been said, that, that they, the writer of Hebrews, would not disagree with what's been said and taught. However, Hebrews... 9 makes a clear point that is so very often left out of many teachers' representation of Christ's redemption. Not once have I heard the word blood. Hebrews, which one can only assume would have been read to all ages of people, is very clear about the importance of the need for blood. The gospel that is being preached is often one that misses out key biblical themes and therefore leaves a hole in people's understanding of why and how Christ brought salvation to humanity. This is not a matter of salvation itself, but it is a matter of coming to know the character of God through his holy word. Last week in chapter 8, Alan explained the relationship between the Old and New Testament. The New Testament not being essentially a better way to salvation. The New Testament is the coming together of God's plan from the beginning, The working of the two Testaments together is God's plan for us to know him as intimately as possible. 
just like he knows us. It was the way God chose to reveal himself to us, by giving us his righteous law and revealing to us that we could in no way reach his standards. Only man's failure to keep his law could help us to understand what was finally going to be needed in relationship. The Old Testament was meant to be outshone by the new, always. Every inch of the old was heading towards the new in order to show and bring his his, uh, his glory. Hebrews 9, we hit our text. If you want to, please turn to page 1027, if you haven't already. The law required bloodshed in order for people to be ceremonially clean, the Jewish law. In Exodus 24, 8, Moses takes the blood of calves and touches everything with it. This was what God had commanded and had made very clear. Verse 22 of Hebrews 9 makes this point. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. From the beginning of the first covenant, God made it very clear how forgiveness was to be sought. Little did the Israelites know of what God had planned in the coming Christ. We are in the privileged position to be in the time when we can see God's larger picture at work, post-resurrection. The Christ, however was not what the Jewish people were expecting. The commentator Thomas Hewitt writes about the expectation of their promised Messiah. The Jewish hierarchy's attitude towards the Messiah was political rather than spiritual, national rather than universal. They looked for a Messiah who would overthrow their political enemies, restore their national independence, and set up his kingdom within the house of Israel and in the land of Palestine. They failed to perceive that before the restoration of all things, the barrier between the all-holy God and sinful man had to be removed. They also failed to realise that the Messiah had to come on the scene as high priest and as victim, so that by offering himself as a perfect offering for sin, he could fulfil the divine conditions for the inauguration of the new covenant, and having passed through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, bestow those spiritual and eternal blessings which could meet man's deepest need. Jesus blew apart the political leader they were desiring and brought in a very different image of their expected king. The idea that the Messiah would become a victim would have been blasphemy to their Jewish ears. Jesus came with the mission of salvation from eternal death and to become high priest, the intercessor between man and God. Verse 15, for, the reason Christ, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption, verse 12. Blood has always been needed and will always be needed. However, Christ came and gave eternal salvation once, covering all sins eternally for those who are to believe. Jesus differed from the Jewish high priest as he sacrificed himself, not calves. Verse 26. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world 
but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. The barrier of the most holy place was broken. We see this in Matthew 27, verse 51. The curtain guarding the entrance to the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem was torn in half. The place where God dwelt when Christ died and rose was opened. The Spirit of God broke out as sin was defeated through Jesus Christ. The sanctuary has changed. The place where God dwelt was the sanctuary in the temple. But now, after Jesus, we see the sanctuary has changed. In John 4, verse 23, God's people are no longer shielded by the, necess- by the necessary mediation of a priest or ritualistic images. These bloody images pointed towards Jesus Christ. The images that were covered in blood in the First Testament only ever pointed towards the blood that was to come of Christ. God's people no longer worshipped in Jerusalem, but in spirit and in truth, in the spirit and in Jesus. We are the place God now dwells. We are the sanctuary. We are the temple. The spirit dwells in us. It's clear from scripture that the Holy Spirit is no longer in the man-made temple in Jerusalem, but within believers. The Spirit broke through the curtain and came to dwell amongst his church, making them the temple. As Hebrews 10 later informs us, this is the covenant I'll make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. The law is no longer something to follow religiously. It's now a lifestyle guided by the Holy Spirit in us. This story of Christ's blood is a love story. However, we don't tend to match love with a brutal and bloody death. Jesus has become our special friend who gave, us, gave up his life for us. This has elements of truth. However, it's not the truth in its fullness. We can wander through life never truly having thought about the crucial ideas that Hebrews highlights here. We romanticise Jesus. He's too often pictured as a tall, blonde bodybuilder that we laugh off. Or moreover, today, the gentle, kind counsellor who wraps his arms around us. However, when we actually sit down to think about Jesus, do we see the bloodshed that should have been ours in the first place? Well, I don't want this to come across like at this point, or at any point, uh, is that this is a scary part of the Bible that we can go away and forget about. But the truer story of love is what I want you to be picking up from this well beyond the lovely God we like to experience. My forgiveness was given as a gift through his death. This is about the reality of our sin, of my sin, and the reality of our forgiveness. Probably the most famous Bible verse in the the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Unfortunately, the constant reading and writing of this verse out of context has allowed Jesus to be portrayed in a slightly blurred filter. The Greek word translated as so is not the commonly understood quantity of love. It's not because God loves us so much that he gave his only son. He didn't love us this much that he died for us. The so is better translated in the Greek as in this way. For God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not die but have eternal life. 
God loved the world by bloodshed. That's where he would go for you and me. We know nothing of God's love, except the extent he's willing to go for us to be in relationship with him. Bloodshed is where God's willing to go for us. Our sin and our connection to God needs blood to be sacrificed in our place because our sin deserves our blood. Judgment for sin is death. Christ Jesus came and took our rightful place. Verse 27, Hebrews 9. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. People are destined to face judgment for their sin. That judgment involves bloodshed. Christ came and took that for us. If he hadn't died, we would have. He died once for all. He will only come back to bring salvation to those who have been drenched in his blood. He has an eternal salvation. We humans no longer have to ritualise the picture of our forgiveness. It was a picture of what was to come. A smaller version that was never the real thing. Christ rose from the grave to rule over those he had died for. He took the judgment that we so deserve and rose over it to rule over his kingdom into eternity. Blood had to be shed according to the law. And Christ came and did just that. The gospel is saturated in blood. Not to scare us or put us off, but to bring in the reality of our sin against God. The extent to which God went for us should leave us in awe of God, of the God we serve in this building, in our workplace, in our homes and in our schools. That, that should be what we measure our relationships by. That should be the central belief of our faith. Jesus loved us, yes. He continues to love us, yes. But how exactly did he And does he? How do we represent this today? Don't just love people. Enter into thought about the reality of how he loved us. Then love them as he did. With the extremity that Jesus Christ did. Don't walk knowing that Jesus loves you. Walk knowing he gave himself unto death so you can receive forgiveness. 22, verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. For those who may not be believers here, this is a message uh, right in the middle of a book written to Jewish people about their past and about what Christ has brought them into the present with. The belief that Christ... uh, was there at the beginning of the earth and made it. The fact that Christ uh, was, was breathed breath into us, breathed the spirit into us. People turned away and made ourselves our own God. And at that point, God died and he brought us together into communion with Christ. And through that, the spirit came after Christ rose into the world to dwell amongst his people. The spirit is at work because the curtain was torn Blood was spilt. Christ stands victorious. We stand redeemed in relationship with our awesome God. Blood was spilt. 
Christ stands victorious. We stand redeemed in relationship with our awesome God. Let's pray. Father, on such a hot evening where we may want to be somewhere else, Lord, may we just sit in your presence, Father, knowing the extent to which you love us, knowing the truth behind your death for us, Lord, that if you didn't die, we would have. And Father, I pray that this message sinks into us and we can go out, Father, knowing that we stand redeemed in your blood, Father, in relationship with you. Awesome God. Amen.